Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if I have to do four welcomes because we have four guests today. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is the Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP Services. If you're keeping track, this is Season 2, Episode 3. So there. Our topic today is mobility, specifically the future of mobile workers. And I bet a lot of you listening to this show, whether live today, it is October 9, 2014, or on demand, when the show is posted in a few hours in perpetuity, I bet you are mobile in your job. I have a feeling, and we'll find out more about that. But let me get started on the topic. The convergence of mobility and the workplace is not new. Many remote location workers are as enabled in the field as at the office. You know who you are. You know what you have. Because technology is bringing computing power to the situation instead of just the other way around. Let me do a little definition here. A mobile worker refers to people who have mobility to do their work in a variety of places. This could be within a building, across a campus, across an ocean, or at home, anywhere. Well, the ROI for field service mobility has many facets. We have cost savings. We have simplification. We have customer satisfaction. There could be a lot more, and this may be just the tip of the iceberg. But the big question is, will the office desk become obsolete, and how soon? Hmm. As I said at the start, I have a packed house of panelists today. We have four on board with us. That means a lot of voices, a lot of talking, a lot of expertise, a lot of points of view. Let's get started. First up is Mark Brandenburg at Samsung. And Mark sent me the following quote from Donald Norman, who's an academic in the field of cognitive science, design, and usability engineering. And he was born in 1935. He's got a little longevity there. Here's the quote. The same technology that simplifies life by providing more functions in each device also complicates life by making the device harder to learn, harder to use. And this is the paradox of technology. Great quote. Mark Brandenburg, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this selection of the quote, and what does Donald Norman mean to you after you tell me about the quote? Sure. Well, I think the quote really illustrates what we need to do in mobility, especially mobility workers. Um, If you look at life today, uh, we're all about making it easier with technology. And it's often been said that you know, technology is looking for a problem to solve, but the problem is, you know, you overlook um, making that device easy to use or uh, interacting with the applications that we're now condensing down into a single form factor like a smartphone or a tablet. So what you end up with is something that's complicated to use. And I think that if you take an example out of my home life, um, at home I have a home lighting system. And it's great that I can turn my smartphone into a light switch, but I think what we really need to do is make the light switch smarter, this, this physical component, uh, this on and off. Today, mm-hmm. what I have to do to turn on my lights is open up the smartphone, unlock it with the security code that my company's placed, and then actually turn on the lights. <laughs> and that's quite a few seconds longer than just walking to the wall and flipping the binary switch. So I think, you know, if you take a look at, uh, at this quote, uh, this is really what we need to think about. 
as we start to deploy solutions uh, into the workforce. They have to be easy to use, but we also have to consider other devices to improve the workflow of that worker and not just condense it or confine it to a single form factor or modality. Thank you, Mark. Great. I love the use case. Now, question is, Donald Norman, how did you come to pick this quote, and, and what does he mean to our discussion today? Well, I, I just I was listening to the radio, actually, and, um, and there was a review of this book, and I had a chance to dive in a little bit. And I just really liked the fact that he uses some of the, um, the way we interact with things and uses personalities and, and even just um, you know, cognitive functions uh, to really express how workers should uh, or how they should interact with devices on a day-in and day-out basis. And this is expressed not just in, you know, mobility, but even just, you know, walking through buildings and being able to, to understand, you know, what push versus pull is on a, on a door. So uh, I, I just found it interesting um, as I was listening to the radio one day. Thank you. The power of radio. Mark Brandenburg, you just made that even more powerful. You took a quote you heard on the radio and you brought it to a radio show. How about that? I like that. That's our little circle of life here. Thank you, Mark, and welcome again. Second panelist up is Dan Cui, C-U-I, at Vuzix. I'll spell that for those of you not initiated, V-U-Z-I-X. And Dan sent me a quote from Thomas Edison. Everybody knows who Edison is. Here's the quote. The value of an idea lies in the using of it. Sounds so simple. Dan, welcome. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. And you? Very well. Well, nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> Thank you very well, Dan. I, I'm very appreciative of the thought. So tell me about this quote. How does Edison, Edison would be so surprised that he's being quoted on a show in 2014 about the future of mobile workers. So talk to me, Dan. I know it's sort of ironic, huh? But, um, <laughs> You know, in the overall scheme of things, uh, I think the quote has two meanings for me, and that's the reason why I picked it. The first meaning really is very personal, and that is that ideas are really the embodiment of our dreams. And everything that we've done in, as humanity, in humanity, is based around our dreams, whether it's the development of, of you know, the, the industrial age or, or the technology that we find ourselves in. So it's, it's a very pertinent thing to to apply here. Also, if you look at it in perspective to what we're talking about today, um, and that is wearables, wearable computing, mobility, you know, people always ask me, what can you do with a wearable computer? And I look at them and I sort of, you know, stare cross-eyed and I go, um, well, where does your imagination end? So, mm-hmm. you know, so for us to advance anything that we do, we need to take a step back. We need to look at the 30,000, take a 30,000 foot view, look at technology, look at our lives and try to figure out where all these things fit. And that's where ideas and dreams come from. I like that idea and dreams. Thank you very much. And and let's explore that just a little further, Dan. In terms of the mobile worker, you give them the tools, you give them the wearables, you give them the 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 items that will allow them to be mobile. Do you think there's going to be a lot of innovation in terms of how the users apply these devices to making their job better or making their company more productive? Do you think there's still some innovation in terms of how they use the idea? Thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. You know, I was, I was at a company a few weeks ago, and uh, the company, you know, they're, they're doing their normal everyday thing. They live in their cubicles. They do their work. And they, they said to me, how can we ever learn about this technology and use, use Andro- you know, Android and some of the new apps that are coming along? And I said, you know, why don't you try doing a hackathon? 
and inviting mm-hmm. all the kids in the local community to your hackathon and give them a nice prize. And I'll bet you by the end of the weekend, you'll have a lot of innovative, applic- innovative applications that you never even thought of. And maybe one of them will turn your company around and, and bring revenue into, into your organization that you never thought mm-hmm. about before. Wow. 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 Great idea. Well, that's exactly where I wanted you to go. Thank you very much, Dan. Let's bring on our third panelist. It's Jeff Shaner at Esri, E-S-R-I. And he sent me a quote from Dr. Seuss. Those of you not in the know, if you've been hiding under a rock for the past, I don't know how many years, a Theodore Seuss Geisel was an American writer, poet, and cartoonist, and he's best known for a whole bunch of children's books that he wrote and illustrated. Anybody remember The Cat in the Hat? All those? Under the pseudonym Dr. Seuss, which was his middle name. So here's the quote, think left and think right and think low and think high. Oh, the things we can think of if only you try. I love a poem. Jeff Shaner, how are you today? That was good. I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, Bonnie? Fine. Another one asking me. I'm fine. I hope I did a good read of it. Did I read the poem appropriately, Jeff? You did well. Yes. Thank you. So talk to me. Dr. Seuss on a show about technology. I'm intrigued. How does he relate and talk to the quote is great, by the way. So give us a little background. Yeah, sure. So first, Dr. Seuss is just he was an amazing man, as you know. And uh, for any of us out there that have kids, it's a great read. So uh, I really enjoy Dr. Seuss. It's very exciting to to read that for for a child the very first time and when you think about this book and the quote itself it's really about the journey of life and exploring the world around us which i think is what is really relevant to to the topic at hand you know we're seeing that mobility is driving the change in thought process today and it's really transformed the expectations we have when we use technology and the other key point in this quote if you remember from the book is that He's telling this uh, to a child, and it's really our youth that are driving the change that's happening today. And you see it when they're, you know, texting and Snapchatting and doing all those crazy things they do on their cell phones. And that's coming to the future of our business processes as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to see this rapid change in how our business processes adapt to this uh, not only the the way that we use technology, but the, but the offerings in that technology as well. So that's really where it's coming coming from for me. Thank you, Jeff. Very interesting. Uh, we often refer to the younger members of the workforce on many of their sh- these shows, the Game Changer Radio series. Uh, we talk about the millennials and the influx of their ideas and their creativity and their mobility and their spending power and all that good stuff. But not often do we say it's the kids fooling around with this new technology is where a lot of the ideas, the creativity and the true innovation, in a way it's co-innovating with your child. If you pay attention instead of saying, oh, put down that thing and do your homework, you might actually get a good idea out of it, right? And Dr. Seuss would be so pleased that you brought him into the show. Thank you, Jeff. And let's bring on our fourth panelist who's waiting so patiently to come on the show. It's Jonathan Zufi at SAP. And I have a quote without an attribution and Jonathan promised to tell us on the air. The quote is, it's better to be a few minutes late than dead on time. Oh, my goodness, double entendre. Jonathan, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Thank you. Talk to me. Where's the quote from? Well, actually, it's a quote from my late father that he imparted on me when I was in my early teens and just learning how to drive. 
Um, but it's an idea that I think it's really, really important and very relevant to any discussion about technology. We're in an industry that's moving at incredible speeds. I mean, I think it's safe to say that mobility is exploding um, and there's a really huge array of these transformative technologies around this growth, many of which I'm sure we're going to talk about today. But in, in the consumer space, there's always going to be these early adopters that are going to rush in to these new technologies and this phenomenon has really exploded thanks to places like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. But for businesses, and this is a show about business computing, um, there are mm -hmm. some very, very large companies, including ones that we all work with um, uh, for all the speakers here today, that are really in very early st uh, planning stages of rolling out mobility across their company. And I think because mobility brings so much potential for these big businesses, it's absolutely critical that they get it right. And so the quote is about getting it right, not getting there first. Ah, okay. Well, I, I'm going to ask you a question, Jonathan. We often talk about being first movers in new technology and a new innovation. So how does that work, getting there right rather than first? How do you become a, how do you get that first mover advantage if you're doing it right? Is that a paradox, perhaps? Not really. I mean, the reality that a lot of people come to realize when they join large software companies is that large enterprises, large enterprises typically don't move that quickly. I mean, there are some outliers like the Googles and the Amazons and the Teslas of the world, but the majority of enterprises out there move very, very slowly. There are a lot of issues around that, like security, like security privacy. There might be things like Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. Um, so typically, these initiatives take a lot of time. And mobility, because it is moving so quickly, and there are so many technologies around it, like beacons and wearables and all these other uh, uh, pieces, I, I think that everyone on the, on the call would, would, would certainly agree that it's really important to make sure that you get it right and set a good foundation for this growing future. Good advice to our listeners. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I have a very difficult question for my panel, but you know what's coming because Future of Business with Game Changers is part of our, our big series, my flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, hence the coffee cup in the logo. So, Mark Brandenburg, I know you're ready to give me a great story. What are you drinking today? What's in your cup? Or what do you wish you were drinking perhaps right after the show? Mark, go ahead. Great. Thank you. I would say Cafe Coupon. And this is a delicious coffee from Honduras, which um, for the past eight years I've, I've traveled there. I work on some uh, orphanage projects down there. And every time I go, I make sure to, to grab a bag of this wrapped in burlap, bring it back, and uh, enjoy the cup so I can remember all the experiences that I've had there. Uh, aside from the, the personal projects that I work on there, uh, another interesting fact about my visits to Honduras, I married my wife there. So we've been married for three years and got married on the beach, and it's just a wonderful place to go, and uh, the coffee is certainly good as well. And does your wife like the coffee as well as you do? Well, she does not like coffee, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so much for that. Erotic, but I, I enjoy it all the same. And, and spell, it's a Cafe Coupon, did you say? How do you Co spell that? Coupon, C-O-P-A-N. C-O-P-A-N. Okay. Yeah. Somebody, Dave Fowler or Stephanie or Jennifer, somebody tweet that. It sounds tweetable to me. By the way, we're tweeting at hashtag SAP radio today, as we usually are. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate the story. Dan Quee, talk to me. What you drinking or what are you planning on drinking? Uh, well, I'm going to keep it very simple. <clears throat> yeah, since it's fall time here, I'm going for a cup of hot chocolate, getting ready, anticipating winter skiing. 
So that's what it's all about. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm going to ask you, what kind of hot chocolate? Does it come out of a little packet, some powder, and add hot water? Or did you mix it yourself? You have a special secret ingredient. Come on, share with us. Uh, no, just a little cinnamon, you know, that works. Spices it up a bit and, uh, and uh, tastes great. I like that. Thank you very, very much. By the way, whole milk or skim or something in between? Oh, you know, getting at that age where I better stick to 2%. <laughs> I wasn't asking, but thanks for the information. Jeff Shaner at Esri, what are, you, what are you drinking, Jeff? Hey, I've got my coffee with me today. I like it dark roasted, strong, and very caffeinated. It's early in the morning here in, in California, so I need the extra Oh, that's right. You're one of our our West Coast early birds. Thank you very much. Keep that caffeine. I call that high test. (laughs) You know, like like the the gas we used to be able to put in our cars. Thank you very much. (laughs) Jonathan. I tell you what, I I don't like it. I don't like it black. So uh, I like to add a little cream in it. And the best way to add that cream is either with some Baileys or Kahlua. That makes it a little bit more exciting. Now you oh. just got very interesting. <laughs> Those I know. Okay, good. But not until you're after you're off the air. Then go ahead. Jonathan Zufi, I hear a wonderful accent. Where are you calling from? What's the accent and what are you drinking? A lot of questions. Uh, so I'm calling from Atlanta, but I'm actually originally from Australia, born and raised in Melbourne, Victoria, which, um, as everyone knows, is the number one coffee drinking capital in the world. Um, actually, it is. If you go and Google that, you'll see that Melbourne consistently comes up as one of the top places to drink coffee. And um, I grew up drinking coffee in cafes along places like Chapel Street and Turak Road and the little laneways and alleyways of the CBD. And when I moved to the US back in 2005, I kind of wasn't really prepared for the coffee culture here, which is pretty different, except for some places, I guess, like New York, LA, Seattle, Boston. There are mm-hmm. a few other standouts, but it took me a while to find some great coffee places here in Atlanta. I typically drink French roast out of my Keurig. But um, my, my, my father-in-law is actually a huge coffee fanatic, actually probably borderline obsessive. He's got about 20 coffee machines in his garage and about five coffee grinders, and he swaps them out every six months or so. And he actually gave me some good advice, which I thought your listeners might really enjoy, and that's about... Yes. Um, with coffee beans, you should never freeze coffee because what happens when you freeze coffee to really low temperature, it condenses the oils inside the coffee beans. So when you heat it up, the oils evaporate a lot faster and you lose a lot of the flavor. So for the self-grinders out there, that might be a little tidbit to help them with their own coffee. Well, thank you. We're going to have to rename the show The Future of Good Coffee Advice. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you all. I have to read a couple of tweets here. We've got Stephanie Thomas tweeting for us from SAP, and she says she's drinking hot apple cider from Edwards Apple Orchard in Illinois. Exclamation point. Good, Stephanie. Enjoy it. And Dave Fowler, who sponsors the show from SAP Services, says, in my cup today, Starbucks pumpkin spice latte via instant test prior to backpacking. I'm not sure whether the instant is part of the test or not. He's testing it before he goes backpacking this weekend. Good for you, Dave. Have a great trip. And let us know how you like the coffee. Guess what? They only let me have water on radio show days. No caffeine for Bonnie. I wonder why. We're going to take a break. My panel's been working very hard. We have a packed house today. Mark Brandenburg at Samsung. Dan Quee at Vuzix. Jeff Shaner at Esri. Jonathan Zufi at SAP. And our topic is an important one for everybody because I'm willing to bet a lion's share of our listeners are mobile workers in some way, shape, or form. So we're talking about the future of business, the future of mobile workers. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're going to start our roundtable. I think we can squeeze in about 30 minutes before we go into the crystal ball predictions at the end of the show. We're going to kick this off with Mark Brandenburg at Samsung. And Mark, you sent me the following in your notes. I think it's a great way to jump in. You say, now is the time for businesses to start paying attention to devices beyond smartphones and beyond consumer tablets. Mobile technology continues to transform the way we do business. Great point. Mark, let's get started on the roundtable, please. Sure. Well, what I'm finding in my own experience is working for Samsung, a lot of customers are looking to solve business problems, obviously. A lot of them have to do with workflow and how do we create a more efficient worker by delivering information uh, in a contextual way, in a way that's not disruptive uh, to to their business. And, you know, today with such a uh, prolific uh, uh, expansion of, of smartphones in the business, we're looking in the market at penetration of smartphones. There's 1.13 billion uh, out there in the world today, and a lot of those are going into these work environments. Um, creating apps is really not good enough anymore to solve business problems. So as we look to uh, devices like wearables, smartwatches, or even smart clothing, and uh, really expanding across even other product categories uh, by combining the use of visual displays and uh, interactive displays, uh, it's important for organizations to be thinking about that. How do we create solutions that that go beyond the smartphone or even the tablet and expand that into uh, the area of wearables and and displays and, and create a seamless experience? But more important than that, uh, also keep keep in mind that we have to make it easy to use, going back to my earlier quote. Uh, we have to also keep in mind security and manageability, and these are all complex issues as we start to expand uh, the number of devices that go beyond smartphones and tablets in the enterprise. Thank you, Mark. I'm, I'm wondering how many companies, I know you won't have a number for this specifically, but how many companies are really on board with this? Are there any laggards? We like to use that word in terms of innovation laggard versus innovation leader today. We did a show on that on our Innovating 
innovation with Game Changers last week. So my question is, are companies resisting this or is everybody, yay, are on the bandwagon? They can't wait to do it. Uh, how are the CIOs taking this? Any insights into, into how leadership is approaching this? I think uh, in the past, uh, you've seen more of a laggard approach. Uh, today, uh, mobile is just creating all sorts of excitement. And for businesses, it's, it's ever important to adopt this latest technology. Otherwise, you have no differentiation. So it's really about, you know, how, how does a business differentiate themselves from their competitors? And with mobility changing so fast, if you don't make a decision, uh, you know, on a technology and move forward with it and adopt it and see how it works within the enterprise, uh, you'll never make a decision, you'll never adopt it, and then you'll be left behind, and your competitors will, will obviously have an advantage. So I think, um, you know, I, IT administrators, CIOs, et cetera, are very excited. We're seeing a lot of interest in wearables and how do we put a lot of business processes, um, you know, onto a wearable device or even incorporate uh, displays, as I mentioned before. Um, so I think there's a tremendous excitement to see how we can make all this possible. And so there's a lot of ideation going on. There's a lot of conversations that we're having with enterprises about how to do that. Thank you very much, Mark. Let's bring Dan Quiet-Busix into this conversation. Dan, what do you think? You agree? Um, yes, I do agree. Um, I, I know you'd like some differing opinions, but I, I, I do. do agree. And that, you know, and that the, um, that the wearable market um, – uh, versus where we have been with, with cell phones and tablets is expanding. Um, it's going to be changing. I mean, when you think about cell phones specifically, and, and of course tablets, those, you know, using those devices are an adaptive human trait. In other words, what I mean by that is, you know, we've become accustomed a and we've adopted to having to pull these things out of our pocket, put them in our hands, click on the buttons, do the things that really are not natural for a human being. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at some of the new wearable technologies, when you just wear these things or if they're worn type of technology versus a wearable technology, now it becomes part of what you do every day. You can go out there, you can look, and you can see things in front of you, but you don't have to look down or hold something in your hand. Your hands are free. You can move around for safety reasons or for just you know, ease of use and, and use your hands the way that you were, you were meant to. In fact, um, you know, we speak to a lot of different um, analysts and research firms, and, and I, I read a quote recently that I'm, gonna, I'm going to, to read from Deloitte, which summed up uh, a lot of what we go out and talk about. And, and the quote goes like this, wearables allow technology to augment workers in places where it hasn't previously been feasible, where hands-free, heads-up awareness is absolutely essential whether it's for safety, logistics, or mm-hmm. etiquette. And I, I think it's a great quote because it embodies everything that we go out and talk about uh, regarding wearable technology. Thank you very much. I love the quote. Say it one more time. I like, I like the, the nuances at the end of the implications of this. One more time, Dan. Yeah, so it's wearables allow technology to augment workers in places where it wasn't previously feasible, where hands-free, heads-up awareness is absolutely essential, whether it's for safety, logistics, or etiquette. I love the etiquette remark, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have to talk about that later in the roundtable. Thank you so much. Jeff Shaner at Esri, I'd love you to weigh in on this point. Go ahead. Hey, Bonnie. I think that's a great vision, but I just don't think we're there yet with with okay. our business processes. You know, uh, what drives the innovation in technology is a strong 
CEO or business leader within an organization that wants to embrace it. And, you know, IT is looking at mobility with a bit of a deer-in-the-headlights approach right now. They're really concerned about how they secure devices and lock down and encrypt uh, data on these devices. And it's, it's kind of slowing down the adoption from what I've seen. So it's a great vision of tech, from a technology perspective. And we're, we're seeing some organizations go there where you have that leadership and that push. But as a whole, you know, I'm kind of disappointed in where we're at with, uh, with mobility, to be honest. Why? Uh, because we're not seeing the the championing of it from the value to the business, and and that's critical for its success, right? Um, so a lot of excitement goes around mobile technology, and wearables has a bright future for it. And quite often, the drive for it is based upon our personal experiences with it. But you know, those that need to uh, provide the change into our organizations that use technology have trouble selling to management on the business value of it. And that's just a real shame that I'm seeing right now. I have a question for you. Somebody else wanted to chat? Go ahead. Who had a comment? Yeah, this, yes, this is Dan. Uh, I, I think I have to wholeheartedly disagree with that one. Um, I mean, I, I just recently went to a Fortune 100 company where the president of that company mandated that his team will roll out wearable technology next year. Uh, and I'm seeing this across the board in a number of companies. So, I mean, you can list the companies that are public with this stuff, NTT Docomo, uh, Nippon Steel, Audi, BMW, Airbus. There are so many companies that have adopted wearable technology and are moving it forward. So you can't say that security and those things are, are roadblocks. They are issues that are being resolved. That's different than roadblocking the growth. I'm hearing passion there. Do you want to come back to that one? Go ahead. Let's let's uh, let's raise the bar here. Dave is loving it. We're loving it. Even the engineer is saying yes. Disagreement. Go for it. So Jeff, rebut. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, I think it depends on the organization. The ones that you're talking about are very much innovators in in the industry. But when we're looking at you know the the petroleum market, the utility market that has the mobile workforce out there that's you know, stuck in this paper-based process for how they do their day-to-day work. Those are the ones that we need to drive the business change in and, and uh, that, are, that are kind of stagnating based upon the, the stranglehold that we see IT have on, on the organization. You know, we need to drive that a little stronger. I think it's part of our mission as innovators in the, in the mobility sector to help bring those businesses into this new way of thinking and... Uh, I don't think we've done a good enough job on it. Well, I'm going to ask a question to whoever wants us, and Jonathan, we'll get to you on this in a second. Are certain industries prime? Are they right on that tipping point to take advantage of mobility in the workforce today? Talking about who's adopting, well, are some industries just really, it's a sweet spot for them, and they are on the brink, or they're already there. Anybody want to answer that? Hi, Bonnie. It's Mark. I, I think yes. you know a lot of the regulated industries are certainly um, at the forefront here, and, and whose prime is, is really those folks in, in the financial dis- districts and, and healthcare, especially. I think um, I myself am having a lot of conversations with with companies in those industries, and certainly security is is of concern. But I think what they're really trying to do is improve business processes. And going back to the earlier comment. 
Um, many of them still are on paper, uh, but desperately wanting mm-hmm. to move to electronic means to uh, improve workflow and, and make that process a little more efficient, not only for uh, the business or company, but, but also for uh, the, the customers that they have. Uh, there are many experiences that, that consumers have that, that are uh, not good uh, simply because of the way uh, the company is doing business. So uh, I, I, there's certainly heavy interest from uh, financials and, and healthcare, and those those industries are certainly primed for adopting new technologies, especially wearables. Thank you. we got to bring Jonathan into this. Jonathan, you talk about the industries that are prime, or just go back to this general conversation. Thoughts, please? Well, in terms of prime, prime industries, I think certainly, certainly any industries that are doing service calls are, are right for this type of technology. The, the most expensive problem that, that these industries face is what's called a broken service call. So you send a guy out, they can't maintain or fix an asset because they were unprepared, they didn't have the skills, or most commonly, they don't have the parts. So if you're a new worker or maybe, I don't know, you're an experienced worker and you're looking at a piece of equipment, now if you've got a wearable and you can have a look at this thing and use technologies like augmented reality, object recognition, edge-based tracking, sensors and sensor networks, you can call in an expert for over-the-shoulder video collaboration. Suddenly, things start to change, and mobile workers can now be a lot more efficient, faster, better, and, of course, more importantly, safer. Um, someone mentioned the petroleum industry. Um, that's an industry that's absolutely ripe for disruption with, with wearables. And I'll just focus on one specific instance. We did some work mm-hmm. with a large oil and gas company, specifically in the area of wind turbines. So wind turbine is an absolutely humongously massive physical structure. that's typically 350 feet up in the air, and the turbine itself is the size of a bus. And what oh. used to happen is that when these things break down, they are very complex pieces of machinery, and typically they have to fly experts out from around the world. They literally got to stick a guy on a plane and fly him out to where the troublesome spot is, and obviously that issue gets more compounded when you're talking about floating oil and gas platforms in the deep sea. Now, with a wearable device that's streaming with you know high-speed LTE networks, you can now stream the feed from these devices all the way, you know, 350 feet in the air, the wind's blowing, it's crazy environmental conditions. You can relay those um, um, uh, environmental uh, environmental variables back to these experts who are sitting in their desk in London and Sri Lanka and New York and have them resolve the issues a lot faster and certainly a lot more, uh, 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 (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) with uh, much less cost. Thank you. Great points, Jonathan. I, I want to move into the wearables, uh, uh, talking about wearables a little bit. I'm looking at some notes from Dan Quee. And, Dan, I'm just going to read a couple of lines from your notes, and why don't you take this and we'll have everybody chime in. I don't know that I'm even going to call your name, so just, just say your name and just jump in. I, it's going to be easier. So Dan says, while there is a human side of wearable technology, there's also a machine-to-machine and machine-to-human side that significantly benefits a company. And the example is plant floors can now be considered a data-rich environment where the human assets can interact and complete more tasks more effectively and efficiently. Dan, why don't you explain this a little bit, and then we'll ask everybody to chime in. Go ahead. Sure. Well, you know, in the past, uh, just using the example that I that I put there about um, about the plant floors. In the mm-hmm. past, a, a worker goes into a plant floor and, and he has a he has a list of maintenance that has to be performed on different pieces of equipment. He goes through his checklist, 
And he goes over the equipment. He tries to get things done. And, you know, he moves through this on a, on a hourly basis, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of paperwork. So now you have the difference where the, this equipment that's on the floor, whether they're motors, their pumps, their, you know, conveyor belts, all these things can actually provide information to you using wearable technology. And it can be provided by a, a variety of different ways. It could be, you know, barcode scanning, it could be image recognition. It can be, it can, you know, be a variety of different technologies that we have to identify that piece of equipment and automatically have the person that's walking towards it understand what's got to take place with that equipment. Another good area is in the, in the world of the medical equipment, for instance, and field service. Um, you know, a technician goes out and he's, got, he's going to go try to repair a half a million dollar piece of um, medical equipment, like, uh, you know, like a, a CAT scanner or something. Mm-hmm. Walking up to the machine, that machine has wireless capability. It transmits information to the wearable technology that the, that the, um, the technician is wearing giving him error codes, telling him what might be wrong. At the same time, he's communicating with the corporate servers that are also telling him what he's looking at and pulling up illustrated parts breakdowns or giving him ideas of where to look and troubleshoot that device. So it gets back to helping the technician get his job faster, easier, and more efficiently than he's ever been able to do. In fact, so one of the quotes um, from one of the analysts, um, I think it was um, – I think it was Gartner that actually said that it'll save a billion dollars a year in field service efforts um, through efficiencies and, of course, being able to complete a job first time through. Wow. Wow. Well, who doesn't want to save billions of dollars a year? I just put Gartner into my notes. Thank you, Dan. Who wants to jump in on that? Anybody have any other case stories besides uh, use cases besides the plant floor? Mark or Jeff or Jonathan, who has something sure. for us? Sure. This is Jeff here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're seeing the, the demand and drive for wearables in in a lot of the industries that we work with, too. And the other kind of interesting take on that is the ability to uh, visualize uh, through, you know, wearable eyewear um, the things you can't see. So if you take Jonathan's example of a petroleum company, another one that comes to mind is the pipeline aspect. So being out in the field and being able to visualize the pipes that are six feet underground by using wearable technology is a great business value for how the, the field technician conducts his, you know, cathodic protection surveys or, uh, or, or leak detection um, uh, methods. So we're seeing a lot of promise there, as well as the, the facility um, examples that, that Dan talked about as well. So Thank you. Mark, great. Mark, any comments on this? Or Jonathan, any case studies you want to add or, or uh, commentary? Sure. I mean, we're on the topic of mobility, um, mm-hmm. we, um, and, and that also includes things like sensors and sensor networks and yes. technologies like Bluetooth LE, which is short-range Bluetooth that consumes very small amount of power on the mobile devices, um, created an exploding industry around some very interesting devices that leverage this technology. We recently did a project for a very large uh, U.S. tire repair company. They've got about 900 stores across the U.S., and this is a company that still comes up to you in the car park and asks you some questions about your tyres and pulls out a little tyre um, tread depth sensor, which is a little piece of metal that they push into the tread depth, in, into the tread of the tyre to see how much tread you've got left. 
So they're now very actively exploring laser-based tread depth scanners with Bluetooth LE so that they can grab mm. that information and send it straight back to their point-of-sale system and accurately and quickly capture that information. So this concept of using mobile technology in the retail space with the customer there in front of you in, in a car park in, you know, somewhere in, a, in some place in the United States, I think is, is another really interesting aspect of how mobile technology is helping these industries. I think it's exciting. I can imagine a customer saying, really? You know that? That fast? And this is going from here to here? Wow. I, I think especially for older people who are not grasping this, to see somebody giving them service using these, this technology would probably be very exciting, and it could enhance loyalty. Uh, Mark, any examples? I don't want to leave you out of this before we move on. Talk to me. Yeah, sure. You know, healthcare is a big one uh, in addition mm-hmm. to, you know, just field service. And, you know, we, we have some conversations going on about utilizing beacons and, let's say, in patient rooms. And, you know, instead of a, a doctor having to search through uh, notes or clipboards and things like that, being able to walk into the room and have a record automatically pop up on a tablet or smartphone uh, is certainly intriguing. And, you know, I think it, it helps, um, you know, first ensure that they're in the right place, right, and that they have the, the right records. And it certainly makes the patient feel more comfortable. Um, but even passing that information along to a wearable uh, is certainly an interesting use case as well. And, you know, you have, since you have this pairing of, of the wearable uh, device uh, along with the uh, smartphone or tablet. I mean, those two seamlessly play together, so you get pieces of information that's pertinent on the smartwatch, but then as you interact more with a patient, let's say, uh, you're able to sort of swing to that that second display, if you will, and and pull up more information. So, um, and and then even we're we're talking about, um, you know, those doctors even having the ability to take specific pieces of information and, and swiping them up to, to a display so that they can show the patient um, on the display that may be in the room. So uh, those, are, those are all uh, current conversations that we're having. It's very exciting to, to explore. And they're good, good conversations, and we need more of that with the state of what's going on with health around the world. Mm-hmm. We need more of that instant feedback. Thank you. I want to go to some notes from Jeff, and then we're going to make time for some notes from Jonathan as well. Uh, Jeff, I'm looking at your comment. You say device integration with peripherals will be key to maintenance of the future. We're starting to see this now with industrial strength barcodes. What is an industrial strength barcode and an RFID <laughs> tagging of assets? you gotta got to help me here. Is that like high-test <laughs> coffee? What does it mean? <laughs> well, if you think about barcodes, you find barcodes every day on the the products that you buy, and you go to the grocery store and they scan the barcode. But now barcodes are a pretty effective way to, to kind of put information on an asset. And in the field, that can be challenging if it's subjected to weather, right? So um, you can't take, you know, those, uh, those the typical kind of barcodes you see on products that you buy every day and slap them on a on a street sign or a utility pole and expect them to last through the winter. Uh, the industrial strength barcode is one that's made out of metal, and we're seeing that those kind of metal industrial strength barcodes are tagged on assets all over the place now, and uh, RFID technology has been dropped into underground assets and used to remotely scan information as well. So we've got customers that will take and integrate location with RFID and barcode scans, and they could literally drive down the street and be scanning holes and information in real time and getting their status information. So uh, the ability to connect these peripherals with that scan that information with 
device technology that can can synchronize and uh, transmit uh, status information back to an operation center really is transforming um, some of the business process and the way that organizations can respond when events like um, hurricanes and earthquakes happen. Uh, they can be more effective in their in their response and their their assessment of damage, which is pretty amazing. It's amazing, and it's about time. I think it's it's a very good thing. Anybody else want to chime in on what Jeff just added about industrial strength barcodes and things of that ilk? Mark, any comments? Or Dan? Jonathan? Barcoding is a pretty interesting technology for mobile devices. Um, the um, the proliferation of very um, complex and powerful cameras on these devices coupled with technologies from companies like Honeywell that have created some really fast and accurate barcoding software development kits and APIs are now allowing these very low-cost, high-powered devices to become barcode scanners. Typically, you could only do that with a laser-based barcode scanning device, which was very, very um, uh, expensive. So now you can do it at much lower cost with much simpler hardware and get, a lot, um, get much more uh, productivity with very high accuracy. Thank you, Jonathan. Anybody else on barcodes? Because I have one more topic, and we're probably going to skip the break. Anybody else on, on the, uh, the barcodes? Mark, anything? Any? Uh, it's, it's important, uh, obviously, to make sure that you know uh, companies are going to not increase cost uh, to implement uh, a barcode scanning technology, and um, certainly there are peripherals that uh, you can add, which add laser-based or even image capture. And, and the challenge for you know OEMs is you know having the right uh, camera equipment to recognize those, having autofocus capabilities, which is important, and um, being able to read uh, versus having a fixed uh, fixed focus. Um, you know, and then lighting is also important. And um, so, you know, if, if a company's looking to, to save, to, to have that capability, um, those, those types of um, uh, improved hardware need to be embedded inside of, in, in, in the devices versus having to go to a peripheral device. Thank you very much. Guess what? I have one more topic. I don't think we've touched on this. It's in the notes from Jonathan Zufi. Jonathan, of course, we play fair. Everybody gets a turn to lead a conversation thread, and you're up next. So, Jonathan, you told me in your notes, the boundaries of the possibilities of mobile technology seem limitless. First, you mentioned to me testing drones, making customer deliveries, just one example. Then you talk about mobile on-the-job learning through real-time gamification. And then you say top, top floor to shop floor, there are a few workers of the future who will not rely on a mobile solution to complete their workday. Why don't you pick a couple of those? I'd love to hear from them. And then we're going to slide in about four minutes. We're going to slide into the predictions round. So, Jonathan, start us on this. Drones, gamification, talk to me. Well, drones are obviously interesting. They're very topical at the moment. The uh, mm -hmm. FAA has recently released some regulation, which is, um, seems to be constraining uh, American businesses around the uses of drones. But certainly, you know, drones with um, high-definition 1080p cameras with um, high-powered Wi-Fi routers connected to them allow companies now to be able to monitor situations and um, um, review assets in ways that they never could before. Um, another area that we're certainly very interested in is, con is context and contextual awareness mm -hmm. and even something as simple as expense management. So today the typical worker goes on a business trip, they get a bunch of receipts, they might have a mobile app that scans those receipts but they still got a fairly arduous task of 
plugging all that information into some kind of application, either on their mobile device or on their desktop, and then waiting to get reimbursed. Well, contextual awareness should really provide an environment where none of that needs to happen, right? The phone knows where I am. It knows I'm at a Starbucks. Um, it typically knows what kind of um, latte I'm ordering, and it should just ask a simple question, what did you buy? And it should just be able to grab the date, the time, the location, and be able to automatically categorize. It should know that I'm in a cab. It should know where I'm going, where I'm coming from. And so all of that information... Um, should be a lot easier for the user to actually manage and automatically be controlled by a mobile device. And that's why we think context with the use of things like beacons mm -hmm. and GPS um, can certainly change the way that uh, workers uh, manage their information on a day-to-day on a -day basis. Thank you, Jonathan. You know what, guys? It's time for us to move into the crystal ball predictions round. We have a hard stop just on the dot of 58, and it's 49. That leaves us nine minutes and four of you, and I can't wait to hear your predictions. So let's circle back to Mark Brandenburg at Samsung. Mark, focus on 2020, if that's a good year. Can you see blue sky clearly for the future of mobile workers, mobile mobility, people being able to work from anywhere with anything, being smarter, being more effective, customer loyalty, all the wonderful things we've been talking about. What are your predictions? I'm going to give you a minute and a half to make sure because we're really tight. Mark Brandenburg, predictions, go. Well, 2020 is epics away in our world. Aha, uh, uh -huh, I like that. <laughs> and change so rapidly that uh, it's hard to really see the future because uh, companies are adapting to what's out there today and, and looking for ways to incorporate uh, all these new and wonderful devices that, that, uh, that, that we're making. So um, I, I think going back to the original opening quote, um, there really has to be, I see a revolution really in usability and design of how we interact with these things. Um, so while we might be producing more devices, I think what we'll see is an improved communication between all of those and a setting of standards that this can happen across uh, even multiple OEMs. Because uh, let's face it, not everybody is going to adopt a single provider, right? So mm -hmm. there has to be a standardization that comes into play. And I'll, I, I believe that by 2020 and, and certainly beyond that um, we'll see much, much improved uh, communications between these things and bringing contextual awareness and even an evolution in, in the operating systems themselves uh, becoming contextually aware. Uh, I recently uh, saw a movie, if I can make a movie reference here, mm -hmm, sure. called Her. And it was very oh, yes. because you know yes. you had something that literally learned about you with just a few questions and then evolved with you over time. And, and, and what was so interesting about it is it made it, uh, the operating system made you like it more as you went along. So uh, I think uh, awareness, uh, AI, um, artificial intelligence will certainly come into play um, in the future. Thank you very much. Nice and tied up in a neat bow. 90 seconds. Dan Kui, I'm going to give you the same 90 seconds. Predictions, what year are you looking at? Go. Well, you said 2020. By 2020, uh, you know, um, I believe that you're going to see the, the fading away of handheld cellular technology. I mean, like I said earlier, um, cell phones and such are, are an adaptive trait. It doesn't fit human nature. And I think with wearable technology now, especially since we're in the smart glasses business, we're now getting the glasses down to where they are. They are um, the form factor is such that you can wear them without feeling like a geek or looking like somebody's going to be picking you out and saying you're spying on me. So the glasses mm -hmm. are coming along. The biggest issues for us are battery, and that's, that's the biggest issue, I think, for a lot of technology and the power budgets that we have to deal with. But certainly when you have a mobile computing that you can wear, 
that allows you to be hands-free, that allows you to see normally and get information delivered to you, makes your phone calls for you, that, that moves into a whole different realm of, of mobility that, that cell phones and tablets can't even touch today. Thank you. Jeff Shaner, Esri, talk to me. Predictions? Are, are you good with 2020? What do you think about 2020? Well, I, I think 2020, like Mark said, is, you know, it's eons away for us. And hopefully we won't see Skynet go live by 2020. I don't think that's going to happen. But um, there's a lot of innovation that's just breaking loose right now in the industry. And we've talked about some of the key topics, like, sensor networks and location awareness and where I see this really coming to life for us uh, in and I hope it's going to be there in the next uh, you know five years is that we move towards uh, this real-time sensor network and the historical information the challenge there being uh, the big volumes of data that we need to be able to analyze and and, and leverage but but being able to get to the point of, of doing predictive analysis on, on wearable devices, on smartphones and tablets. And I'd like to see us be there by, by 2019, 2020, because I think uh, when you drive that uh, analytical capabilities on a, a very powerful, uh, small, lightweight uh, device like a, a mobile phone or a, a wearable device, uh, we can we can do some pretty amazing things, and uh, uh, that location awareness capability is going to be key to that too. So we can make predictive analysis based upon where we are and what we're doing using historical and and uh, predicting the future. So I think that's that's where I'd like to see us be in about 2020 if we're if we're able to get there. Thank you. Well, let's hope we can. Maybe we'll have to reconvene in 2020 if we're all around and, and talk about it then. I had one guest on an early show a couple of years ago said he was predicting out 50 years because he didn't think anybody would be around by then to tell him whether his predictions were right or wrong. Oh, what a chicken. Jonathan Zufi, SAP, I need your predictions. I'm going to give you just a little over a minute. Go. Uh, well, first of all, in 2020, I hope that we're still all talking to each other and not just talking to our so. phones. Um, but my, my brain really starts to hurt when thinking about the future. I mean, if you just think about from a hardware perspective, right, Moore's Law, which states that the number of transistors that you can pack into the same space will double every two years, and that trend seems to be happening. Um, one of the latest smartphones to come out boasted 2 billion transistor, transistors, so we're looking at 8 billion transistors on these tiny devices by 2020. Um, if we think about the cloud that is proliferating um, faster network speeds, um, very excited about um, things like um, Samsung Voice, Siri, Google Now, Cortana, being faster, smarter, better. And then if you marry that up with predictive analytics and big data, I think you'll start to see this streamlining of how businesses can work a lot more efficiently and some really exciting innovations for the future. Thank you. I have a bonus question. I need a yes or no answer from each panelist. We're going to just go down the row. Will the office desk be obsolete by 2020? Mark Brandenburg, Samsung, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Dan Quee at Vuzix, yes or no? Yes. Oh, we're doing well. Jeff Shaner, Esri, yes or no? Maybe. Okay. I bet the manufacturers of office decks really like you better than everybody else. Jonathan Zufi, yes or no? No. Oh, we got two. Dave Fowler probably loves us. We have two yeses, a baby, and a no. Okay, those of you manufacturing office equipment, off desks, 
you're going to stay in business a while longer. I'm going to do my predictions really, really fast here because I wrote them down. It's Thursday. This is the end of our week here on Game Changers Radio, but we still have six live shows in action. So Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern, I'll be back with HR Trends with Game Changers. On Wednesday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, I'll be back with our flagship Coffee Break with Game Changers. Wednesday afternoon next week, we'll be back with a new episode of The Internet of Things with Game Changers. Next Thursday, we'll be back in this time slot with Innovation innovation with game changers and the following weeks we'll have a new a new one of the customer edge with game changers and another future of business two weeks from today oh my goodness how do i keep all my children straight here mark brandenburg thank you dan Kui, thank you jeff shaner thank you jonathan zufi thank you wonderful panel thanks for keeping the pace and bringing so much great thought leadership to the table shout outs to dave fowler our sponsor thank you stephanie thomas thanks for the great quotes jennifer jacob welcome to hashtag sap radio love your tweets as well. SAP Services, thank you. Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, Brad and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie DeGram and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's a wearable seatbelt with sensors in it. It probably is. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great rest of the week. See you Monday on HR Trends. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.